Well, this morning we're going to be in the book of Philemon. It's between Titus and Hebrews. Last Sunday we were introduced to the letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. And this letter is basically a request. Paul is asking Philemon to do something. And we did not devote our attention to that request last week because there are preliminary issues that need to be addressed. They're worthy of our consideration uh, because they help us to understand and appreciate the set of circumstances that are so unique for when this letter was actually written. Uh, First, we backed up in time to the third missionary journey when Paul uh, was on his third missionary journey as described in Acts chapter 19. And we saw that when Paul got to Ephesus, he stayed there for two years. And he was teaching in Ephesus to the point to where the entire province of Asia Minor heard the gospel. And many people were saved. And one person in particular was Philemon. Philemon is a wealthy Gentile slave owner who lives in Colossae. And he was led to Christ by Paul. We see this in verse 19 of Philemon. Well, by the time we come to this letter that's being written to Philemon, Paul is in prison. And most likely he is in prison in Rome. Uh... At the time when, where we're at right here, all of a sudden we're, we're in Asia Minor, we're focusing on Colossae where Philemon lives. And so we find out that in this Lycus River Valley, there are churches existing in these cities, Laodicea and Hierapolis, Colossae. And I'll give you the references, but Colossians 1.7, Colossians 2.1, Colossians 4.12, These uh, verses uh, introduce us more to this fellow by the name of Epaphras who is serving as some type of pastor to these cities in this Lycus River Valley. So he has a very close connection with Colossae and Laodicea that are specifically named in the Bible. I think last Sunday I misspoke and I said that Paul didn't know Philemon, but what I was thinking about was Epaphras, because uh, in verse 19, Paul uh, led Philemon to Christ. And in verse 1 of Philemon, uh, he talks about how Philemon is as a co-worker, somebody who worked alongside Paul. And so they very much do know each other. But it's Epaphras that we don't know about. We don't know how he came to to faith in Christ. We don't know. We don't know how these churches were planted and who started these churches. Because Epaphras seems to be so closely connected with Colossae and Laodicea, which are two different cities, it gives us the impression that maybe he started the churches or he had kind of a traveling pastoral role. We don't really understand exactly. 
But we're going to find out in verse 1 and 2 that there's this fellow by the name of Archippus. And in Colossians 4, verse 17, we find out that he's a pastor in Colossae. And so uh, there's, a things, there's a few things there that we don't understand uh, completely. Those uh, dots have not been all connected for us. But what we do know is that Epaphras, serving in this pastoral role, traveled all the way to Rome where Paul was in prison to seek his counsel. And I can completely identify with that because if I knew that right now the Apostle Paul was on the earth somewhere, I would find a way to get to him because I have so many questions. And so Epaphras goes to Rome to talk to Paul and it looks like he ended up getting himself arrested too. In verse 23, he is described as a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. And so the answers that Epaphras got, he wasn't able to take back home. The letter that Paul would write to the Colossians, he wasn't able to take it back home. Well, into this picture walks Onesimus. He is a runaway slave from Colossae, and his owner, it just happens to be Philemon. And so this is one of those incredible pictures where we see God's sovereignty. What are the chances of Epaphras and Onesimus running into Paul at the same time? Well, Onesimus does run into Paul, and he's led to Christ by Paul. So Onesimus is now a Christian. He is a believer. And since Epaphras can't take the letter back, guess who's going to? A man by the name of Tychicus and Onesimus are going to take this letter to the Colossians and this letter back to Philemon in person. So as I said, Paul is going to make a very specific request from Philemon. That's what this letter is all about, this request. But when he asks Philemon this appeal that he's going to make to him, Philemon's decision, his reaction, his decision, the whole thing is going to be aired out in front of everybody. We find out in verse 1 and verse 2 that it's going to be aired out in front of his wife, Athea. It's going to be aired out in front of Archippus, the fellow soldier, the pastor of Colossae. So now he's got his wife and the pastor involved. And it's also to the church that meets in Philemon's house. So there's going to be quite an audience watching. And we also know that Philemon owns slaves. And that these folks are meeting in his home. And so this request that he's going to be making is going to be aired out in front of everybody. Now, last week we talked a little bit about how important it was for Philemon to be in fellowship with Christ. You know, uh, if you just think about your own personal life and your walk with Christ at different points, there was peaks and valleys. And there may be times when you just really weren't really living for God that much and, you know, whatever. That's a bad time for this letter to be handed to you. You know, uh, it, really, it really is important now, more than ever, that when Philemon receives this letter, 
that he is thinking like a Christian, that he is uh, thinking the right way about all things. In other words, as he lives and breathes and he sins, immediately he recognizes that I'm sinning. I'm doing something wrong. I'm not right with God anymore. I've got to get back in fellowship with Him. I've got to repent of my sins. And whether I'm thinking about uh, all of these different issues that you and I think about in, in this political climate right now and, and all of the ways that we think about our families and family members and people we work with, all of the things that we do, all things are supposed to be plugging in to the, to the Bible and how the Bible tells us to think about these things. Now more than ever, it's so critical for Philemon to have a biblical worldview. Well, one of the best things we know right off the bat is the way Paul is describing him. And it gives us every indication that Philemon is on board. He is on the same page, and he is going to receive this information the way a normal Christian would who's in fellowship with God. Because... What we're told is that Philemon's reputation precedes him. You know, Paul is not in Colossae. Paul is not in Ephesus. He's in Rome and he's separated from, from uh, Philemon. But he's hearing about Philemon. He's hearing that he is a godly man who loves Christians. So it's very, very important. So let's read this introduction. It's the first seven verses. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that you... I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. And so this is a very good report. Paul is saying that uh, he's heard of his love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And that Philemon's love has refreshed the hearts of the saints. And so this is one of those evidences in 1 John that you have passed from death unto life, that you are actually born again. There are evidences in 1 John. If you're, as you read through the epistle, over and over again, he says, if you're really saved, this is going to be true of you. If, this, if you're really saved, this is going to be true of you. Well, one of those is love for the brethren. And so here we see this ironclad evidence of Philemon's conversion because of his love for other Christians. So this gives us every indication that Philemon is a man who is thinking biblically, which is good news because Paul has got a really tough request. And so let's read that request beginning in verse 8. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child, whom I fathered while in chains, Onesimus. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and me. 
I am sending him a part of myself back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. This is especially so to me, but even more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, accept him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self. Yes, brother, may I have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Well, if we were to take this request and kind of boil it down, there's three basic components that he is challenging Philemon with. And we looked at that last week. This is basically what he's asking him to do. He said, I need you to forgive, you need to forgive Onesimus. Whatever he owes you, let, it, let me pay his debt. And please consider sending him back to me. Now, he wanted him to forgive Onesimus, but not because Philemon was such a nice guy that he's just that kind of a guy to forgive him. He's not appealing to him on that level. That might be how I would appeal to someone at my job, but not when I'm talking to someone who is a Christian. Because forgiveness is a fundamental attribute of a believer. If you don't have forgiveness, I don't think you're a believer. You know, one of the reasons I was going to say, one of the reasons that, that Julie and I are still married is because we keep forgiving each other. You see, the basis for Paul's request is grounded in the fact that Philemon has been forgiven by God. You know, uh, at some point, all of us needed to be reconciled with God. In other words, we were there was uh, the harmony between God and, and you was broken because of your sin. And that had to be addressed, that sin, in order for you to have fellowship with Him and to be reconciled, for everything to be okay. And, you know, if you get in an argument with somebody and you say something you shouldn't, they say something they shouldn't, and then you guys got to kiss and make up, well, you've both got something to apologize for. But that's not the way it is with God. You see, we're the ones who offended Him. We're the offenders. And so... He sets the terms on what it's going to take for us to be good again. And so we need Jesus. And so this is a fundamental fact of all Christians is that we recognize that at some point we were separated from God because of our sin. 
We were the offenders. And so the same love and grace and mercy that Philemon received from God needs to now be extended to Onesimus. That's the basis of the appeal. You've been forgiven. You should be able to forgive others. You know, there can be great difficulty in forgiving other people who have wronged us. It's easier said than done. But like I said, forgiveness is at the heart of who we are as Christians. If, uh, if we decide that we're not going to forgive somebody, then all kinds of bad things begin to set up camp in our heart. When we come to church and we start talking about forgiveness and we're being challenged to forgive others who have wronged us, Whenever forgiveness is a subject at church, um, or just, you know, when you're sitting there at the kitchen table and you're thinking about something that's happened to you, and you have to decide whether or not you can forgive them. You know, whenever we're challenged with the, with the issue of forgiveness, there is an inherent danger. The inherent danger is that all we're going to do is start unpacking all of these things that people have done to us. And I'm thinking, oh, that guy really did a, did a number on me. Oh, she really did me wrong. I don't think I can ever, you know. And so all of a sudden, all you're doing is you're thinking about all the things that people have done to you. And now you're, you're asking yourself, well, I forgave them pretty much. Yeah, I forgave them. I'm pretty good. I forgave that guy. And so all you're actually doing is you're looking out away from yourself at things that all of the other people around you have done. And when you do that, you actually miss the point. The very point of this letter, the very point of this appeal, it is the very point that Philemon absolutely needs to get. Forgiveness only makes sense when we realize that we have been forgiven too. That's why we can forgive others as believers. So this is the first question, this first challenge in this is to forgive Onesimus. And we don't know exactly what Onesimus did. We know that when he ran away, he was not a believer, but Philemon was. We don't know what that looks like. We can just only imagine. We don't know what that relationship was like. We don't know what his responsibilities were. We don't know how Philemon treated people. We have to assume that he treated him well. He had the church meeting in his home and he was a believer. But we just don't know. And so the second one here is that Paul says, let me pay his debt. And so that implies that, you know, he took something when he left. He stole. He, I don't, who knows what it was he did? And even if he left and it left some things hanging and Philemon couldn't get some jobs accomplished in time or fashion and it cost him money or we really have no idea but for him to just get up and leave caused damage so Paul says let me pay his debt he says in verse 18 if, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything charge that to my account I Paul write this with my own hand I will repay it so Paul says, 
put it on my account. That's the actual definition of the word impute. So he is saying, impute his bill to me. You see, Adam's sin was imputed to us. And our sin is imputed to Jesus on the cross. And then when we put our faith in Jesus, his, imputed right, his righteousness is imputed to us. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You know, Onesimus had a debt to pay. He had to pay for what was done. We call that an atoning problem. He must atone for it. So when you hear the word atone or atonement, it carries the idea that there has to be a reckoning. I've used the argument a million times of me and the example of getting in an argument with my wife and I've done something stupid or something wrong, which is often. And I just, we're not going to be good until I apologize and actually mean it. We're just not going to be good. And it's the same situation with our sin and God. It, something has to, to pay for it. There has to be an atonement. And so Paul is saying, let me be Onesimus's substitute. That means that Paul is willing to pay for it and Onesimus won't have to pay for it at all. Someone else is paying it. It's not Paul and Onesimus. It's just Paul or Onesimus. And Paul's saying, let me be his substitute. And so this is where we get this concept of substitutionary atonement. So when it comes to sin, either Jesus is going to pay for your sin or you are. There's no in-between. There's no purgatory where you're going to go somewhere and work off some of it. You don't work off anything here. You're either all in with Jesus or you're not. He's either your complete substitute or you're on your own. It's either or. There's no in-between. This is the concept. And so it's a beautiful picture here where Paul is saying, if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. Now, if Philemon does forgive Onesimus, whether that means him allowing Paul to pay the bill or whether it means that Philemon's going to say, well, I can't make Paul pay it. So Philemon decides he's going to absorb the debt himself. However that happens, the other slaves are going to learn of it. Remember, this whole thing's being aired out in front of the entire church. The curtains are being pulled back and light is coming in on this institution of slavery. This is a really beautiful picture of what's happening with Onesimus. It's, it's like baptism. This whole set of circumstances here recreates the picture of what it looks like, that transaction when a person moves from being a slave to sin to a child of God. This is a really beautiful picture of what happens. And this brings us to, to Paul's third point in his request as he says to send him back to me. Will you consider letting him come back here? I wanted to keep him, but I didn't want to do that, make you obligated. I, um, I want you to do this on your own free will. 
And in the verse 11, he says, once he was loose, useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and to me. And that's a play on words because the name Onesimus actually means useful. And so he's basically saying useful became useless, but now he's useful to both of us. We notice that Paul's predicament in prison and his needs, his personal situation did not erase what Onesimus had done. There still needed to be restitution and reconciliation with Philemon. And this brings us up to the point that Christians do not run from their problems. I hope you heard what I just said. Christians do not run from their problems. I should have put that one up, didn't I? How about this one? Is that Roy? Is that wrong way, Roy? <laughs> That's Roy Regals. He played football for the University of California, 1927 to 1929. And uh, his position was called, uh, what do they call it again? A roving center. And so it was kind of like a middle linebacker today. That's what was his position. He actually played both sides of the, of the offense and defense, but he was known for, for the defense. And during the Rose Bowl in 1929, they were playing Georgia Tech. And Roy picked up a fumble, and he was getting hit by everybody, and it spun him around, and he ran 69 yards in the wrong direction until he was tackled by one of his own teammates on the three-yard line. Well, the team had nothing left to do but punt. It was zero to zero at this point. And the punt was blocked, and Georgia Tech ran it back in for a safety. And so that is how that team went into the locker room at halftime. Roy sat on the floor. He was crying. Nobody said a word. And then when it was time to go back out on the field, everybody left, but Roy, he still sat on the ground. And the coach came up to him and he said, Coach, I can't do it. I've ruined you. I've ruined myself. I've ruined the University of California. I couldn't face that crowd to save my life. But Coach Price understood second chances. And he said, Roy, get up. Go back out there. The game is only half over. Well, Roy had a, an outstanding second half, and his story and his performance in that second half is uh, often used by motivational speakers to talk about overcoming you know, our setbacks. And I was reading a story about this fellow, things he wrote, and uh, this thing haunted him for the rest of his life. He was quite a football player, had a great history, a great career, but it was completely overshadowed by this. He was always wrong way Roy from that point forward, no matter how good he did. He, had, he went on to be a, a football coach. And, um, and he said that, you know, it, the, it, he kind of got over. It's kind of like me going bald, you know. I mean, when I was in my 20s, this was not good. I'm brushing my teeth. My hair's falling in the sink. And I'm like, God, can I just at least get to 30 before I go bald? <laughs> And uh, I mean, the day I hit 30, it, it was gone. It all fell out, like on the day I turned 30. But I thought, oh, I should have asked for 35. 
<laughs> you know. But, but uh, anyway, I, I, I've been bald for so long now that it doesn't bother me anymore. You can say anything you want. I'm bald. Deal with it. And so this guy did the same thing, but he said, you know, when people would bring it up just to mess with me, it did get under my skin. And he said, it was unbelievable because it, it didn't matter where I was at, a restaurant or anywhere, when somebody would say the two words wrong way, it would rip his head around. He'd look to see if they were talking about it. So it did go with him for the rest of his life. But I like my favorite quote. He said, this was later in life, he said, you run the wrong way with a football in front of 60,000 people, and it's pretty hard to lie about it. In other words, he had to face his past. God was given Onesimus a second chance too. And so Philemon, so he had to, he had to turn, return to Philemon at great risk. He didn't know what was going to happen. He could have been put to death for what he did. But if Onesimus was going to live for God, it was the only thing he could do. Because Christians don't run away from their problems. It was the only thing he could do to move forward. Wrong Way Roy said, you run the wrong way with a football in front of 60,000 people, and it's pretty hard to lie about it. That's the kind of raw honesty that we have to have about ourselves before God. That way, when someone does something that's wrong to us, we remember. It doesn't mean that what they did isn't bad or upset you or that. It doesn't mean that what they did doesn't upset you or bother you or that everything is really going to be cool with you guys from that point forward. But you have to forgive them. You can't keep that stuff in your heart. So Onesimus went back to Philemon at great risk. But he did approach him with raw honesty. I know what I've done is wrong. I, I met Paul. I've accepted Christ. Here's a letter, Philemon. Read it, read it before you do something to me. And so uh, you and I have to, have to have that same raw honesty, recognizing that we are sinners who have been saved by His grace. And it's that same kind of raw honesty that Philemon was going to need as he read that letter with Onesimus standing in front of him. Let's pray.